Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's go ahead and bow our hearts and continue our worship by studying the Word of God. Well, Father, we thank you for today. We We thank you for who you are and what you are to us. Thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for our worship team and all of those on campus tonight who are serving. We we thank you, Lord, that kids' life started up again. And uh, for the people that are here, for those of you who are watching, thank you once again. So, Lord, you're so good, Lord. We just pray that that you would uh, touch our hearts, Lord, that you would help to soften our hearts, help us to be receptive to whatever it is you want to speak into our lives. May you mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus. And so, Father, we give this night to you on this campus. We pray that you'll be glorified. I pray for the gift of teaching, that you'll help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth. May I decrease and you increase. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we are in Mark chapter 2. Beginning at the 23rd verse, um, if you want to turn there, um, and then we'll be going to chapter 3 in Mark up until verse 6. And so the title of tonight's message is The Impossible Mission. The Impossible Mission. Now, a mission is a strongly felt aim, ambition, or calling. It's an important goal or purpose that is accompanied by strong conviction. Or a mission could be an important task or duty that is assigned, allotted, or it is self-imposed. In other words, you, you make it your own goal. Nobody gave that goal to you. And some of us tonight have personal missions. Some of you who are viewing on live stream, you have personal missions. And maybe your mission personally is to start a career. Maybe your mission or aim is is to pay off some type of debt. Or especially these days to, to stay healthy. That may be your goal or your mission right now. But tonight we're going to talk about a mission that is impossible to accomplish. And just to give you a hint, just to throw it out there, it's a mission that, that God never told us to try to accomplish anyway. So this is not a mission that we're going to talk about that you want to jot down in your notepad or anything that, that you want to make it your goal. And I don't want to say what it is yet. I don't want to spoil it. But I'm sure those of you in here, we have many Bible scholars in here, you're going to figure it out before we get to the end. But this is a mission, again, that's impossible to accomplish. Now, in Mark chapter 2, beginning at the 23rd verse, it says, Now it happened that he, that is Jesus, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. Luke chapter 6, verse 1 says that they ate them and And part of the process 
was to rub the grain in their hands because they wanted to separate it from the husk, from the waste part, part that they didn't want to eat. And in verse 24, it says, and the Pharisee said to Jesus, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And so the Pharisee's question would suggest that they think they know more than Jesus in regard to what's right or wrong. They think they know better than Jesus in regard to what's best for his followers. And now, according to Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 and 25, people were actually allowed to pluck and eat their neighbor's grapes from their uh, vineyards and to also pluck their standing grain until they were full. But they were not allowed to gather it. So that would be like going to a buffet and you, you pay your fee and you eat as much as you can while you're there. But then after you eat, you're going to sit there and pack some steaks in your purse or your backpack. No, no, it didn't allow for that in Deuteronomy 23. No, you eat enough to get full, but don't don't get you a basket and start plucking a bunch of grapes or or grain. And so it was not unlawful as far as what the disciples were doing. But the Pharisees problem was that the disciples, Jesus's followers, were doing this on the Sabbath. And now the Sabbath, by the way, was instituted by God. It is, of course, a day of rest. And the Israelites, including their families, their their servants, even their animals, they were only to work for six days and then rest on the seventh day. Because the scriptures tell us that God created the heavens. He created the universe and, and the earth and everything in them in six days. And he rested on the seventh day. And so this Sabbath was to be a sign between the children of Israel and God. It was showed that they were distinct, that they were different from everybody else. They were different from all the other nations around them. And yes, the scriptures tell us that as we read it, that there were some clear Sabbath day restrictions that God had made known to the children of Israel. For example, they couldn't kindle a fire or gather on the Sabbath, that seventh day, that day of rest. But now the Pharisees, they, they added to God's law. They added to what was set in stone, what is set in stone. Because the Pharisees believed in traditions and they went above and beyond what God had put in the scriptures. So once again, these Pharisees, they, they thought they knew more than Jesus, who is actually their creator. And the question comes up as I think about the Pharisees in this lesson. The question comes up. Have we been putting ourselves in, in a position of thinking that we know more than Jesus, especially when it comes to other people's lives? Do, do we think that we know more than him? Do we go above and beyond his word and try to put people in bondage to our traditions, traditions of men, and, and then we pass it off as law, as God inspired? But the scriptures say that we're not to judge another man's servant, as it tells us in Romans chapter 14, verse 4, I believe, if you want to go, if you want to go ahead and write that down and check it out on your own. 
So we're not to judge another man's servant. And, and in fact, the disciples were Jesus's servants. And so how can they tell Jesus if his servants are doing a good job or not? We're Jesus, the master. He's the one who sets the standards. Now, continuing in verse 25 in Mark 2, it says, but he, that is Jesus, said to these religious leaders, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry while on the run from King Saul? And I'm just filling in that blank. So King David, he was on a run from King Saul who was trying to kill him, jealous of him. And so King David, he, he has some guys with him, was hungry. And so Jesus is bringing that story to the Pharisees' attention. Have you never read, verse 26, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests. And, and he also gave some to those who were with him. He gave some to his friends as well. Now, if we look in, in Matthew chapter 12, we're going to see some, some blanks filled in here because more is said in Matthew 12 verses 5 through 7 because Jesus also adds the following question. He also asked them, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane or violate the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. That's Jesus talking about about himself. That's a that's a claim to be God. He's saying that he's greater than the temple. And guess what? He, he didn't he didn't blame these priests, criticize these the, these priests for the work they were doing on the Sabbath. But if you had known in Matthew 12, 7, what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. And so to address the issue of his disciples plucking and, and eating grain. On the Sabbath day. What Jesus did was bring up two stories from the scriptures. They're in our Bible as well, and we can read them as well. But but he asked the Pharisees if he if they ever read, first of all, about David and the showbread. And what the showbread was, was was flat, circular cakes. Of course, they were made of fine flour, the scriptures tell us, and and they were placed in two different piles. So six cakes in each pile and they were put on the table of showbread. And so if you were to walk into the tabernacle and you look to your right, which would have been on the north side of the tabernacle, you would have seen the table of showbread and you would have seen the showbread in two different stacks, six on each side. And so every Sabbath day, the scriptures tell us that that new showbread, fresh showbread was put out every Sabbath, every rest day, day of rest. And then the old ones that were being replaced were eaten by the priest. They were only for the priest. But yet and still, David and his friends were, were able to eat the showbread and they did not get in trouble with God. And we'll talk about why later. But Jesus brought that to their attention. And then he asked them about another scriptural 
reference. He asked him about the priest. Have, have you ever read about the priest who prepared and, and killed animals for a burnt offering on the Sabbath day? This there in Numbers chapter 28. They, they didn't violate the Sabbath because this was part of their duty at the temple. And so what Jesus showed them is that they didn't know as much about the Sabbath as they thought. They thought they were experts, but, but Jesus brings up two different references that showed that, that they weren't um, great in their understanding as they thought they were. They didn't know as much as Jesus as they thought they did. And in verse 27, it says, And he, that is Jesus, said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So this day of rest is for man was made for man. But the Pharisees, as, as we see even in today's example, they made this day of rest into a day of bondage where people felt enslaved by the Sabbath day because they would add their traditions to it above and beyond the word of God. But Colossians chapter two tells us this in verses 16 and 17. It says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. That's what we're talking about right now. And notice what it says in verse 17. They they are a shadow of things to come, but the substance, in other words, the reality is of Christ. So what is it saying? Is that Jesus fulfilled even the Sabbath. He fulfilled it. Jesus is our rest. And you've heard me say that more than than once. And in the same way as, as these Pharisees tried to put people or they did put people in bondage to the Sabbath day. There's people today who would try to make our relationship with Jesus, our true rest, our our true Sabbath, the one who fulfilled the Sabbath. Some people will make our relationship with him a burdensome one. Oh, it's not just faith. You have to work, too, in order to be saved. No, works is a product of salvation. It's not how we get saved. But people will make that relationship with Christ one of bondage. They will make him a tough task master. But Jesus says, come unto me, all of you who labor, all of you who are weary, you're, you're tired of these traditions of men, you're, you're tired of, these, of this burden of trying to meet the law on your own, you're, you're tired of religion, come unto me, have a relationship with me, rest in me. And he says, I, I will give you rest. So that true rest is in Jesus He is the reality of these festivals that we see in the Old Testament. He is the reality of the sacrifices, which are but a a shadow of him. The Sabbath day is just a shadow of the reality who is Jesus Christ. And and so don't allow anybody to to cause you to feel like like you have to have this performance-based relationship with Christ is is based on grace is is based on love in fact somebody did the work and it was him and we rest in him we rest in that work that's what grace is all about it's something you cannot earn we we don't even deserve it we can't never pay it off and so it's unfathomable when we when we think of the grace of God or you telling me I don't have to pay for this you you're telling me that I don't have to work 20 years for this. 
You're telling me you you took the punishment that I should have received and and that if I would just ask for forgiveness, if I would just repent and put my faith in you, then this grace will be applied to me. This salvation will be appropriated to my life. Is that what you're telling me? It sounds too good to be true, but that is the word of God. And guess what? His grace is infinite and it's infinite because he is an infinite God. And so if if infinitude, the fancy word, if God being infinite, in other words, there's no there's no borders for him. In other words, if he's an infinite God, that means that everything else about him is infinite. His love, including his grace, is infinite. It just does not run out. And it's so tough to think about. But people, although that's the type of God we serve, they would want to put us in in a in a. Uh, relationship of bondage, even with Jesus. And he says that the son sets you free. If he makes you free, you are free indeed. Where the spirit of the Lord is, the scriptures tell us there is liberty. There is freedom. In verse 28, I think I spent more time than I wanted to there, but praise God. In verse 28, it says, therefore, the son of man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. And guess what? As Lord of the Sabbath, whatever Jesus says is okay, it is okay. The Pharisees, they're not the Lord of the Sabbath. They're not the creators of the disciples. But Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And if if I say it's okay for them to pluck grain and eat it on the Sabbath day, then it's okay. He has authority over the Sabbath. And in reality, Jesus is the Lord over every day. The question I want to throw out there to all of us is, is he our Lord every day? Or is he only our Lord? Do we only obey him one day a week? Only on the Sabbath day, only on a Sunday, only on a Wednesday night? Is that the only time that we obey him or is he the Lord of our every day? In chapter 3, Verses one through four, it says, and he entered the synagogue again. Luke chapter six, verse six says, this was another Sabbath. Not only did he go into the synagogue, but he taught. And there was a man there who had a withered or crippled hand. Some translations may say shriveled, but it was crippled hand, paralyzed hand. Luke 6, 6 also fills in more details. It tells us it was his right hand that was shriveled or crippled. And so they, speaking of the scribes and the Pharisees, they they watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal this man on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. But Luke 6, 8 tells us that Jesus knew their thoughts. Another sign of his deity. He is God. He knew their thoughts. Matthew 12, verses uh, 11. And I'm just going to read part of verse 12 because it's going to fill in more blanks here. It says, then Jesus, then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. And then I like this question of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? 
And he said to the man who had the withered hand, he said, step forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. That's probably the wisest thing they've done. You can't argue against Jesus. You can't argue against God. You may try to. You're not going to win. Probably the wisest thing they've done here in tonight's lesson. So just speaking of the Sabbath day to wrap that up, let's summarize as we look at both of these stories here. Let's summarize what Jesus is actually teaching about the Sabbath. Well, first of all, using David's situation, he taught that human need was more important than keeping a ritual, ceremonial law, and the tradition of men. Human need supersedes or is more important than keeping a ritual or ceremonial law. So that would be like me if I'm up here administering communion. And then somebody just falls out and start having a seizure. What's more important for me to continue on reading the scriptures or or see about that person who's having a seizure in the in the in the hallway or in the aisle? See what I'm saying? So human need was more important than keeping the ritual or the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial laws, of course, those were fulfilled in Christ. So there's no more sacrifices, by the way. Now, this is not talking about the moral law because the moral law would be thou shall not steal. So you can't say, well, I have a need, so I'm going to steal. No, it does not. Your need does not supersede the moral law. These are ceremonial laws, rituals here. Again, they've been fulfilled in Christ. And then with the case of the scribes and Pharisees, they, again, had the tradition of men on top of it. And so that's one thing Jesus taught about the Sabbath, one thing we should take from what he's teaching. But then we see another lesson here in chapter three of Mark. And the lesson about the Sabbath that that Jesus gives is that it, it is always a good time to meet a human need. It's always a good time to do good. It's always a good time to save lives. If someone would save their animal on the Sabbath, why wouldn't they reach out and save and and help a human being who is made in the image of God, though it's marred by sin? Scriptures tell us that even after, even after the the fall of man, that, that man still has the image of God, was still made in God's image. And yes, we are going through, the believers are going through a remodeling process to become more and more like Christ. So, yes, that's true. That's true. But in general, yes, we have or we bear the image of God. And so it is always time to meet a human need, always a good time. And we should be glad, by the way, that this is God's view, that it's always a good time to help somebody. Because it means that we don't have to wait until a certain day before God helps us. We don't have to wait until Tuesday morning to pray to God to to see if he's a God who's going to help us and heal us. Now, he is a God of of every day, always uh, available to help us. And so it's a good thing that he has this view. In verse five and in Mark three, it says, and when he had looked around at them with anger, 
He looked around at these religious leaders with anger and he was grieved, it it tells us, or deeply saddened. And he was angry and and saddened by the hardness, the stubbornness, the callousness of their hearts. Because they didn't care for this man. And so he said to the man, he turned his attention to this man with this with this issue with his hand. He said, stretch out your hand and he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And so why would Jesus be angry and and grieved? It's because the Pharisees did not assign value to whom God assigned value to. They had no compassion, first of all, for the hungry disciples. And they had no compassion for the man with the crippled hand. So God's people, these, this, this, these people are whom he created, people he loves, people he has compassion on, but the religious leaders who knew the scriptures, they, they had no compassion for the hungry or for the crippled, the people who needed help, all because of the tradition of men. That broke Jesus' heart. He was angry with them. And so we as, as believers, we need to pray to have God's heart, to place value on whom he places value on, to, to, to love whom he loves. And so that's a good prayer. Lord, give me your heart for people. So I value people and love people the way you do. And this is a repeat of one of the verses here. But just as a reminder, Matthew 12, 7 says, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. That's what he told them. Have compassion and not just rituals. If you knew what that means, if you did these things, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And so Jesus, the story tells us, he miraculously restored this man's right hand. And that's a great reminder to us. Because if it was his right hand that was crippled, that means his left hand was was working pretty well. And so there was something that was out of balance with this man's body. And so it reminds us that he restores whatever is out of balance in our lives. The question I want to ask you tonight is, what do you have? What is in your life that is crippled? What is in your life that is withered or shriveled up tonight? Do you know what that is? Or maybe you've been praying about that shriveled up thing in your life for years and nothing's been done, but... But what if God says, just stretch it out to him and and he'll take care of it and he'll restore it to balance, that he'll make every part of your being balance. But what if he says just to stretch it out, stretch it out? How, Darrell? I don't have a hand issue like this man had. No, stretch that issue out before the Lord in what? In faith. Are you willing to do that? In verse 6, it says, then the Pharisees went out and they were filled with rage, Luke chapter 6 tells us, and they immediately plotted with the Herodians against Jesus, how they might destroy him, how they might kill him. Oh, they had a problem with the disciples eating and plucking grain on the Sabbath. They had a problem 
with Jesus healing somebody on the Sabbath, but they had no issues with plotting to murder somebody on the Sabbath day. That's called being a hypocrite. That's what it's called. And that's why Jesus was so harsh, you'll notice, with the religious leaders. But he was more gentle with the sinners who knew they were sinners and they were ready to repent. You'll notice that in the scriptures. Now, I do want to touch on who these Herodians are, because this is a new group that has come into the pictures. Now, these Herodians was a political party and they were favorable toward the Greek customs and Roman law. But on the other hand, the the Pharisees, a religious group, they hated everything about foreign culture. And they wanted to reestablish a purely Jewish way of life. And so just just to give a summary of these two groups, the Pharisees opposed Roman rule in Israel. They didn't want the Romans to rule over them. They weren't favorable to that. But the Herodians were friendly. They were friendly, on the other hand, to Roman rule. This political group that supported King Herod and his family, they were okay with Roman rule. And so you see these two opposite sides of the spectrum. They, they, they believed in different things, but yet and still they, they, they came together to plot against Jesus, to, to plot to destroy him. And there's even people today with different backgrounds and, and different views who would also try to destroy Jesus. What do you mean, Darrell? Didn't, didn't, didn't Jesus already die for us? Wasn't he already resurrected? Isn't he at the right hand of the Father? Yes, but there's people from different backgrounds, different political views who are not believers, and they would seek to destroy Jesus from out of schools. They, they would seek to destroy Jesus from out of the entertainment industry. They, they don't want Jesus, the name of Christ, to be even mentioned. Different views, different backgrounds, but yet and still they would team up to come against that Jesus of the Bible. But now let's take a life lesson from what Jesus went through in this text. And this is where we come to the meaning of the hint that I gave you. And so if you haven't figured it out already, we, we, I'm about to tell you about this impossible mission for all of us. It wasn't even a mission that Jesus had a goal of attaining and neither should we. And that impossible mission that we see here in this lesson is that 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 pleasing everyone is just impossible. If that is your goal, if that is your aim in life to to please every single person, to make every single person happy, that is an impossible mission, my brother, my sister. It is impossible. So I just want to encourage you to give up that goal if that's a goal of yours, because it's just not going to happen. It's impossible. Because just like in our lesson, as it happened to Jesus, there are some people that are there just to find fault with you. You think they're there to to celebrate you. You think they're there to pray with you, to pray for you. You think they are there to support you. They, They filled out that going away card for you when you left work and you thought you were good with them. But but at the same time, they're talking behind your back because they really don't care for you or your Jesus or the Bible that. That you read from. 
They're just there to find fault with you, to, to criticize you in everything you do. And so it's an impossible mission to, to please every person. And Jesus even didn't accomplish that mission. Not that it was his goal anyway. In fact, they will criticize you and expect it. I'm telling you what to expect if you, if you haven't uh, uh, experienced it already. And I'm sure you have. Because they will criticize you just because you are a believer. Never mind that this person is now an asset to society. This person doesn't steal anymore. This, this person doesn't get drunk anymore. This person doesn't purchase drugs anymore or abuse drugs anymore. This person is now an actual asset to this country. Their hearts have been changed. Their lives have been changed. So never mind that, that we're not bringing sin Rampant sin into the society, into our communities. Never mind that, but you're still going to receive criticism. Oh, they are still going to church knowing what's going on. Why don't they give it up already? Oh, you are still praying. You've been praying for that for years. So people will criticize you just because you are a believer. They're going to criticize your service to God. Never mind people are being blessed as the Holy Spirit works through you and touches the lives of others. Never mind that, that the homeless are being fed. Never mind that you're going to have people who are going to criticize you and expect it. Jesus went through it. As a matter of fact, in, in, in Psalm 37, 32, it says the wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. You see that? The wicked watches the righteous and, and seeks to slay him. Now, there are a few things we can do to overcome, to overcome the emotions, to overcome that desire to give up, to overcome the retaliation that, that rises up or the thoughts of retaliation that rises up in our hearts when, when people criticize us for doing the Lord's work, just for being a believer, Certain things we can do to overcome those negative feelings and emotions that come along with, with being attacked. And the first thing, the first point I want to share with you is, is to remember who the main enemy is. It's not, yeah, yeah, the enemy can use people to get at you, to discourage you, but remember who is the main enemy. Ephesians 6, 12 says this, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And I'm sure many of you can quote this verbatim. You don't need to read this, but I'll read it anyway. I'm not as smart as you. So it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers. That is authorities. We, we wrestle against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts or forces of wickedness in the heavenly or the supernatural places. So who is this talking about? This is talking about a spiritual enemy. And we know it's talking about spiritual enemy because it just said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This enemy that we face, of course, is Satan. Or the devil, and he has this wicked spiritual army. And just based on this text here, this army seems to be organized and have different ranks. And so we need to first and foremost remember who is the main enemy. 
Here's another scripture in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober, be alert, or be vigilant or watchful because your adversary, your enemy, the, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour or destroy. You see, there is a real spiritual enemy who wants to kill you, maybe kill us physically, literally. I'm sure he does. Or he wants to kill your ministry that God has given to you. He wants to kill your reputation. He wants to kill your witness, your, your testimony. He wants to kill your impact. Oh, there is an enemy who wants to devour you. Who he wants to destroy you. But then the second thing we can do to overcome these negative emotions when, when we are criticized or attacked is, is to know the word. Know the word. We see it in tonight's lesson where, where Jesus asked a question a couple of times. In 220, Mark 2.25, he says, have you never read? And then he asked them in Matthew 12, 5, have you never, have you not read again? This time referring about, to the priests. And so Jesus expected lessons and principles to be taken from the scriptures. And so we, we need to know the word. And then, of course, we need to know who we are in Christ. We're going to overcome these, these negative feelings and emotions, maybe even fear of when people are critical of us. Now, I'm, talk, I'm talking about unwarranted criticism, just criticizing you just because you are a Christ lover, because you're a believer and you're doing his work. So know who you are in Christ. Jesus knew who he was. He, he said in verse 28 in Mark chapter 2, he knew he was the son of man. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Know who we are. Scriptures tell us that we are washed. The scriptures tell us that we are redeemed. The scriptures tell us that we are children of God, children of the king, that we're kings and priests unto him. Scriptures tell us that we are trophies of his grace. That we are citizens of heaven. Know who you are. And then another one is, to know your purpose. And that goes along with, with Mark chapter 2, verse 28 again. Because as Lord of the Sabbath, he, he knew his prerogative. He knew what he had authority to do. He had authority to say what was right or wrong to do on the Sabbath. And so we need to know our purpose. The scriptures are clear that that our purpose, our, our goal in life should be not to be people pleasers, not to try to make everybody happy. Our goal in life should be to, to glorify God. That is our purpose, to honor God in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we think, to bring him glory. The scriptures say to live is Christ. To die is gain. So everything that I want to do in life is for Christ or should be for Christ. That should be our attitude. So we need to know our purpose is to glorify God. And then when people criticize us, it won't bother us as much because, listen, we know, listen, I'm living for God. I'm doing what God told me to do. I, I know what the Bible says about whatever issue. 
I know who I am in Christ. I know I am loved in Christ. I know I am forgiven in Christ. And so those criticisms, don't, they won't bother you as much. I'm not saying you're going to be some kind of terminator with no type of feelings or anything like that, but by God's spirit, by God's grace, just applying these principles that we're pulling out from tonight's lesson will help us to be successful in, in overcoming those effects of criticism that begin to rise up in our flesh. And so just still pertaining to this fourth thing we can do in knowing our purpose is, is to glorify God. We can glorify God in our marriage. We can glorify him in our relationships. We can glorify him in, in, in our singleness. Those of us who are those of you who are single. I can't say us. I've been married for 20 some years. But those of you who are still single. Glorify him in that singlehood. Glorify him in your ministry. But then here's the thing. And this goes without saying. The fifth thing that we can do to to overcome these desires, these negative emotions, these desires to give up or to, to retaliate is to look to Jesus as our example. In other words, don't take your mind or eyes off of him. Hebrews 12, 3 tells us this, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. I wonder tonight if somebody is weary or discouraged in their souls, if somebody's ready to give up right now because of criticism. I wonder if that's because they have not been considering Jesus, as it tells us in Hebrews 12 and 3, if we've gotten our minds off of him, if we're not thinking about what he had to endure and that he is the Lord of not only the Sabbath, but every day of our lives. He is my creator. He is my savior. Have we gotten our eyes off of him that, that if they criticize him, if they attacked him, then we can expect the same thing if we are truly his followers. And so don't take your, your minds off of Jesus or else you will become weary and discouraged and you are going to get to the brink of giving up. As the worship team comes up tonight, I have just one final exhort, exhortation for you. Now, the exhortation that I want to share with you is, is despite the unwarranted criticism. Now, I'm not talking about if, if somebody's bringing a sin to your attention. If you know you sin, repent. And have the fellowship with God restored. So I'm not talking about, you know, just blatant sin and somebody's pointing that out. That is not judging. That is truth telling. And somebody's telling you that because they love you. That'll be like getting mad at somebody if my shoes were untied and they told me they were untied. And if I don't tie them, I'm going to fall. So I'm getting mad at them because they're trying to help me. No truth telling is not judging. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about unwarranted criticism just because you love Jesus, just because you want to be faithful to him. So despite the unwarranted criticism, despite the put downs, despite the people waiting for you to mess up so they could criticize you, just like they watched Jesus in, in Mark chapter three, they were waiting for him to mess up. They were waiting for him to heal this man with this withered hand. Because they wanted to criticize him. So in spite of all of that, the exhortation, the encouragement I want to share with you tonight is to keep pressing forward. 
Keep pressing forward because Jesus didn't stop what he was doing. He didn't say, oh, they're thinking about criticizing me. They're about to blast me right now. So you know what? I'm going to hold back and not heal this man. He didn't say that. No, he pressed forward and he healed this man. He restored his right hand so that it became as whole as the other. That's what he did. He pressed forward. And so we look at him. As our example, he knew that, look, there's somebody's hurting. There's somebody in need. So I'm going to press forward. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let their critical eye bother me. So take a lesson from Jesus. Think along those lines, too. That criticism gets to you. So now I'm not going to church anymore because they're criticizing me. I'm going to stop praying just because they, they said you're praying again and nothing happened. I'm going to stop praying or or you helping all those people and what are you getting in return? You're spending all your time at the church. You're you're spending your all your time doing outreaches and 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 what's happening for you? Some people would ask. Some people will criticize. You're not making a whole lot of money, but you're still giving a lot of stuff away. They may criticize you for that. But have the mindset of Jesus. That look, there's somebody's hurting. God wants to use me to to help meet somebody's need, to to help be a blessing to someone. So guess what? I'm going to press forward too. That's what I want to leave you with tonight, encourage you with that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus and the example that he sets for us. Lord, help us to, to love people even when they don't love us back. Help us to continue to be faithful to you, to do your work, to do your will, even though some criticisms are going to come along with that. Help us, Lord, and help us. Because maybe there's somebody in here tonight or maybe somebody viewing right now on live stream who allow bitterness to settle in their hearts because of criticism from a family member or someone else. And, and Father, I just pray that you would dig up and lift up and cast away that, that bitter root from your child. Help them to focus on you and still love people the way you do, Father. I pray tonight, Father, for anybody who's watching, they're not a believer. I pray for the spiritual blinders to be lifted, that you chip away at the hardness of their hearts. And if you want to pray tonight to receive Jesus, I'll lead you into prayer. But as I mentioned several weeks before tonight, only do it, only repeat if you mean it. The scriptures tell us to confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And yes, I'm talking to you through through the live stream right now, through this camera that I'm staring at, but also anybody else in this room. If there's anyone who has not received Christ, you can repeat this prayer after me if you mean it. God. I thank you for the good news. The good news about Jesus Christ. 
I thank you that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. And I thank you that he's alive because you resurrected him. And I admit I am a sinner. But I ask you to forgive me. And I ask Jesus to come into my life. And I personally make him my savior and my Lord. And may your Holy Spirit come in and dwell me and help me to live a life that honors you in all of my days and in all of my ways. Thank you for making me your son, your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Continue to keep uh, Pastor Jim and Claudia in prayer. They, they are on vacation. So I'll just pray for their safe uh, travels. And, and so he'll come back refreshed, ready to teach the word of God from the book of Acts on Sunday. So again, I'd like to thank all of you for coming out. Uh, thank you for joining us on Facebook Live. Uh, may you have a blessed week and may God use you in a mighty way. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.